truly sorry for what we've had to do. We had no choice. May you finally find peace. You have promised us a warrior savior. You need to save your strength for the games. Games? We are en route to the Colosseum, where our deaths are scheduled for today's entertainment. A warrior who looks into the eyes of death and stands his ground. All my life I've moved from one fight to the next. Now I don't know what to do. If you won't fight for us, at least fight for yourself. A warrior with boundless strength, whose power knows no end. This is impossible. And this warrior shall strike down all evil. Unite all kingdoms. Hear that? They think you're the savior of this planet. They're wrong. And through his blood shall restore life to all of Sakaar. I once thought you were a man of honor, Hulk. Now I see you're nothing but a monster. Ciao people and welcome to our 211th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image and more. Naturally there will be spoilers folks so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, Dijanek, and as always joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and wonderful friend, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey Keith, how are you today? Oh, you know, I can't complain. I'd say the sun's out except it's raining right now, so I'm living at the beach. Life's good. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Well, hey, sometimes as Luke Bryan says, rain is a good thing. So I guess maybe uh, at least it'll be a little bit cooler this evening. So I guess exactly. Helps. Breaking Indeed. the hot weather. Yeah, exactly. That's always that's always a good thing. And uh, today we'll see whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, folks, because today we are discussing Planet Hulk from 2010. This was directed by Sam Liu, who we met on quite a few movies recently, written by Greg Johnson, and the score was by Guy Michael Moore, who seems to have scored quite a few of these Marvel animated movies. So when it comes to general impressions here, Keith, I know you actually went and did your homework for the team. You took one for the team today because you went ahead and reread the Planet Hulk comic book story from which this is adapted. So comparing this movie to the comics, uh, what were your general thoughts on this one? I, I will say they, I have to give them credit. They did a, a reasonably good job adapting the comic books to this short, because if they were to really kind of cover the entire gamut of all the comic books, I think it was like 14 issues or, even more, I might be wrong, might be like closer to like 16 to 18 issues, we would have a two or three part movie just for Planet Hulk because they do a lot of the setup work in terms of like why and how we got here. And then going forward where this movie picks up is kind of like the end results. So we something happened off scene in this movie that triggered uh, the Illuminati to send a Hulk someplace safe. And I'm using air quotes, kids, because as we know, Hulk smashes and he smashes everything. So he winds up going to this other planet, Sakaar. And from like that point on, it was relatively, the broader strokes are relatively accurate in terms of who he fights, what he fights are accurate in terms of where he's doing some of the fighting. Not a hundred percent, but they kept it in the dynamic of the story. So I will say contextually, it did make sense because in the comic books, they're, after the first battle, they go off to some pit somewhere to train, and that's like four or five issues, and a whole chunk of it is just that training um, situation. And then they go back to the, the arena to finish off the story in the comic books, and then obviously stuff happens. Here, they kind of condense it and make it a little more natural and organic. So I, I do actually appreciate that the liberties they took, and again, broad stroking wise, did a really good job. I do wish they had kind of brought up a little bit more of the love story while we start to see some sparks for lack of a better term of it here in the movie it goes full-blown in the comic books and it, it's nice to see the hulk having a semi-happy ending until shit goes sideways the most spectacular way possible um so 
all in all, it was an entertaining watch. I actually prefer the art style of the movie over the comic books. It's not that I didn't like the comic books, but the comic books are more of like an oil painting style. So they're really nice to look at, but they almost kind of get a little distracting and then they kind of jump around with the art style a little bit in the story. But I mean, all in all, it was good. They did take some changes in the story. They Hulk fights Silver Surfer. Here it's Battery Bill, but we'll discuss that when we get to that point. You know, all in all, I think if everybody liked the Planet Hulk story, they would like the movie and then vice versa. No, great stuff indeed. I mean, I will say, I guess, uh, I don't know if we, whether you got to see the uh, uncensored ver version of this, because I assume what I saw was the uncensored version because of all the blood and guts and everything else that were going all over the place. Because I know there is a censored version of this, especially when it comes to Hulk beating the crap out of Beta Ray Bill, where in the version I saw, he was literally bleeding all over the place. And I read somewhere apparently that uh, they had to censor that where you could see Hulk punching you know, the heck out of him anyway, but you didn't see any blood or anything. So I guess once again, we had a <laughs> Mortal Kombat situation where somebody entered the, the blood on code. And so we got to see that. He was curious going into this one because it's been forever since I've read the Planet Hulk storyline. And the point of reference I had was Thor Ragnarok, which of course is... Mm -hmm diametrically different from this Obviously, we're not talking about that movie no no <laughs> does not okay. exist in my brain that movie they no. they, they butchered yeah. the story terribly i know that you definitely have some has to have some beef when it with mr taika waititi when it comes to that particular oh, movie i love the guy <laughs> i just hope he never makes a movie ever again indeed yes great at doing stuff like jojo rabbit but leave the thor stuff alone um yeah. But but it was it was odd because that was my point of reference. So I kind of you know, remembered characters like Korg and Meek and what have you and base a basic idea of the story. But yes, this is completely different from that uh, MCU movie, folks. So uh, if that's your point of reference, you might be a little bit thrown off if you watch if you watch that and then you watch this and you have no I no should we say history with the comics. There were some moments where I think I think the story was well told. And even for newbies, you know, even without the made the confusion in the MCU, it does tell a good story. The problem I found with this film was that some characters were rather underused. They had a lot of potential and they were just underused. And I'll get to them as we progress with this review. And also maybe it would have helped to have had some backstory of certain characters over others to really get why they were doing what they were doing. Um, and so that was a bit of a thing. And I agree with you when it comes to the love story, at least here, I found it a little bit rushed in the sense that it seemed like, you know, Hulk and Hulk and, and uh, Kyra meet. They have these sort of back and forth. She's first with the bad guys and then she becomes she goes with the good guys when we get the whole, uh, you know, um, Red King reveal. But it just seems so fast that suddenly they've been fighting each other. And then by the end of the movie, they're kissing and Hulk is becoming, you know, the Sakasan and she's going to be his queen. It, that did seem a little bit rushed. I got it, but I'm like, how did that happen? It seemed very much, it reminded me of like those old Disney movies, boy meets girl for five minutes and they've fallen in love and they'll love each other mm -hmm. forever. So it, that seemed a little bit. So I agree with you when they say maybe, when you said maybe they didn't allow that love story to breathe enough in this film. Granted, we had, I think, it, this movie was roughly 90 minutes long. And mm. a lot of the focus was on, I guess, Hulk and this new team and, and everything else going on with that, rather than we'll focus on the love story. Maybe because kids like, ugh, love, I don't need this. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, that was, I think, one of the big faults of this movie was that, well, flaws of this movie was that the, the love story, we didn't care about it enough. And it wasn't maybe much of a payoff by the end of the movie. It was like, Oh, they're in love. That's great. And Hulk has a has a woman by his side. He's going to be king of a of a planet. But other than that, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. And I agree with you with the art style. I thought the art style was was great too. So so good stuff. Did you have anything else you wanted to add when it came to general impressions? No, I. It's funny, you know. I, again, that that whole movie that you mentioned that I will not mention because it's evil. Um, I feel like he watched this movie because that the heroes on the. In the Coliseum, he had Beta Ray Bill, and anybody who knows the real story knows it was Silver Surfer. So I feel like he saw this cartoon and was like, I like this. I want to screw it up. I mean, I want to make it based, you know, flip it around, make Thor the, the hero and Hulk the 
blah, 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 blah. We'll just, it'll be a buddy comedy. So I, I do appreciate the kind of the Easter egg to this movie, but at the same time, can't hold a candle to this one. Oh, no. I, I, as you said, uh, you know, and I, I, I take your word for it. This was the most faithful to the source material. And, and also maybe I guess had to condense a lot of the story that you read into an, in an hour and 30 minute movie to give us a full story. So that's maybe why they had to cut corners here and there. So uh, I guess then let's start by looking at, looking at our characters on the board. Starting off with our main green guy, we have Rick D. Wasserman as Hulk. So what did you make of what Hulk got to do in this film? I I like the character. It was weird to have him have actual dialogue and normal conversations opposed to just like Hulk smash, Hulk like color blue. And you're like, uh, okay. And that's the thing with these personas of the Hulk. They're either fully developed or they grow and mature as they're um, in the Hulk body because like um, an individual with the whole personality disorder, he generates a new personality based on his situation. So as he adapts and becomes the king of Sakaar, he has this more mature, grown-up adult, you know, an, an intellect and understanding of right and wrong. It's not just straight Hulk smash like you normally see him. So it was cool to see that actually in a full-length movie. Yes, we have seen it in you know the Avengers cartoons, but again, it's usually Hulk has one line or two lines. Sometimes he's an episode. Agents of Smash, another cartoon, had more range in the Hulk character, but to see him, the World Breaker Hulk, or you know what they think of possibly the Savior or World Breaker, was kind of cool to see him develop, turn from that I hate everybody into like let me save people. Actually, really... Um, embrace the hero that he always hates being a lot of times you know he he's a reluctant hero he'll do the right thing eventually but it has to go sideways in the most spectacular way possible before he's finally like fine let me go break some shit and then you know he goes saves the day and then goes back to the angry little man that he is in the corner and you know we're done with it here you get to see him as the whole the entire time and it's not blind rage hole it is a stronger version or I should say a stronger version than say like Bruce Banner, but he's not normal full rage Hulk as they state early on in the movie. When they go through the wormhole, it weakens a character. So that's why Hulk is a little bit weaker. His skin can be penetrated by literally everything in this movie practically. Um, and he can take a beating. You see him actually like bleeding a couple times and he's kind of bruised up and disfigured. So it was kind of see, for lack of a better term, the more humanized Hulk, where he does, you know, take his lumps, but he still comes back and is like, all right, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm still going to kick butt, you know, chew bubblegum kind of scenario. So I like what they did with the character, considering they only had 90 minutes to work with. This really kind of felt like a stretched out cartoon episode of, you know, Avengers than a real movie. Yeah. Not to mention, I think you have, you're introducing so many new characters you have to, I guess, do your best to dose your, t you know, be as, I guess, thrifty as possible with telling a good story while also trying to introduce a whole bunch of characters that at this point we can assume that us as viewers have never seen. As in, you know, I, I'm trying to look at this also from the perspective of somebody who might never picked up a whole comic and read this story. So they have no idea who the Red King is, who Korg is, who uh, Meek is. And so, you're introducing so many characters and you only have 90 minutes to do that. Make us care about those characters and also tell a full Hulk story. So it is quite a task to do that in 90 minutes. It's not like, you know, your straightforward Hulk story where, you know, Hulk meets some random adversary and he has to beat the crap out of him. Kind of like the Hulk versus movies where it's more straightforward, it's more of a straight line. Here you're doing a lot more story, you have a lot more weight to carry and world building even to do when it comes to a story like this. And I agree, I mean, I think the, the portrayal of Hulk in this is exceptional. I mean, he's, like you said, he's not just a mindless green rage monster, but he's definitely more of a complex character. I mean, we see him very much struggling with his identity and his past actions. And I think, like you said, the movie very much explores his inner turmoil and maybe provides us 
with a deeper understanding of the man behind the monster. Granted, we never see him go back to Bruce, the Bruce Banner form, but you can definitely tell that Banner is in there. And I think, yeah, you definitely can see he has more of a moral compass in this film, because even though, like you said, he begrudgingly does things like, oh, I'll help you and so on. He doesn't, he does it eventually, but it's almost like, I don't want them to see that I'm weak. That I'm kind of doing this against my own words. Like I'm reluctantly doing, helping you puny guys to, to get, to, to do your thing rather than I actually do care about these people want to help them. So it's more like, I still want to be tough, show that I'm tough. And I'm kind of doing this just because, you know, I know you can't do it on your own and you need me. Though there were moments like right at the beginning of the film, he doesn't want to fight. I mean, he's literally trying to get out of the arenas, like looking at the door going, I, how does this door open? I want to leave, you know? And, and while everybody's getting massacred, he couldn't care less. He's just trying to get out. Well, right, he just st st stands there staring at the door, wanting to get out. I'm like, okay, nobody's paying attention to him until I guess eventually um, they point out, hey, the green guy's not fighting. And so the Red King has to step in. But <laughs> I thought that was kind of hilarious. I, I did like the part where, was it? I think Meek goes, there's the Red King. And he's like, oh, is that the guy in charge? He's like, yeah. And then he's like, okay. And he just like, goes straight at him. And, you know, that's when he meets, um, uh, what's Kyra. her face? Kyra. And she just knocks him down a peg or two. And then, you know, the Red King steps in with his knockoff Iron Man armor or, you know, Lex Luthor or power armor, whatever you, you know, pick your character with power armor. And they go toe to toe. And it was interesting to see Hulk not win immediately. You know, it, you're used to the Hulk just coming in and like punching a hole through time and space. I'm like, all right, cool, we're done. And he just, keeps on walking here you see him struggle you see him you know having to deal with that you know he isn't the strongest there is so that was a a new experience for him and us as hulk fans because you're so used to you know hulk comes in the room hulk's just gonna you know he's a bull in a china shop and it's when you see him like fighting thanos in the avengers movie or here that you're like hmm Maybe he might not be the strongest guy there is. So it, it, it puts down his mind and yours. And then obviously, you know, stuff happens in the rest of the story. But it's a, an interesting experience for the first couple of times. Oh, it, it very much is. You know, I mean, I think it's uh, that that's something I really liked about this. This movie was just that is that we got to see more of Hulk than just the big green monster who, who beats people up. Tekken, you know, we even granted, as I said, it, the love story was a little bit rushed, but it was kind of nice for him to even got get to experience those kind of things in monster form i mean we had of course in previous films seen the whole complicated relationship he had with betty ross and there you know usually would be kind of more banner hulk and betty ross and here was just hulk with kyra um and yeah and, and i thought it was kind of cool like you said that he doesn't win every single battle and he actually is uh, humbled i think somewhat maybe i don't think he really humbled the hulk until he just gets mad that he hasn't won but uh it's a uh, I really appreciate the exploration of that. And heck, when Beta, uh, Beta Ray Bill steps in, you know, he's kind of like, Hulk, I want, you know, you're trying to understand what is going on with that situation because either, I guess, Beta Ray Bill is being mind-controlled, I suppose, or it's kind of like, if you don't fight, you're not going to go home. So that's why he he just sort of turns on our on our gladiators. And then, yeah, you get that that's a big kind of middle slugfest between Hulk and Beta Ray Bill, which is kind of fun to see. Even though I will say, as much as I like a, you know, I have some, I have bloodlust like any other guy, I do feel that the the fight between Beta Ray Bill and Hulk did drag on a little bit when Hulk is pummeling, literally pummeling uh, Beta Ray Bill's face into a pulp. I mean, did you like that? Did you dig that fight? Well, it, it was interesting because, again, another character, Beta Ray Bill, who is Thor level powerful, is humbled again because of this. MacGuffin wormhole, we're going to call it, because there's no other reason why he was this weak other than the magic wormhole. So to see him have to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and with, even with Stormbreaker, you know, he is fighting Hulk, and he does wind up getting the crap stomped out of him. Yeah, it was a little excessive. You're like, okay, and I get because this was almost blind rage Hulk to an extent. You, you see him core grabbing his arm. He's like, enough, and all of a sudden, like, you kind of see him snap back. You could tell he had lost complete control and he realized, you know, he had to reel it back in. So that was kind of a uh, an interesting thing to see him realize that he had lost control because normally Hulk 
doesn't he's just no control whatsoever. So, you know, did it go on a little bit long? Eh, yeah, but I, I get what they were trying to show because he was even, you know, creeping out the audience. You know, the audience was even like, whoa, like this is a little intense. So this is almost where you could see the world breaker portion of the Hulk's persona come creeping out. But yeah, they could have cut a couple minutes off to it. And I'm like, man, whatever. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of the same way I felt. And also, I like the fact that, you know, I guess it's more of kind of a subtext thing. It is addressed somewhat that Hulk at this point doesn't really have a home in the sense that he went even when Beta Ray Bill was like, come back and I'll take you back to Earth. He's like, I can't go back to Earth or rather that's not my home. They don't want me there because, of course, like you mentioned, we learned that the Illuminati have sent Hulk away because he's too dangerous. And so it's like he very much is a displaced person. He's literally like, Sakaar is not my home because here I'm a prisoner. I can't go back to Earth because they hate me or they'll try to basically send me off again. So there is also, I think, that struggle and that almost depression, if you will, of what, do, where do I go from here? Because you kind of see that we get an idea that he's just almost like literally the lonely man when he, he says goodbye to the, the gladiators at first. It's kind of walking away and then leaping from place to place. It's like, I guess he's just going to almost live as a as a drifter, if you will, until then, of course, uh, Kyra steps in and they have their little fight. And then, of course, he uh, he accepts his uh, his idea of being becoming the Sakarsan. And I thought it was interesting that his his blood. So I guess gamma radiation can cause flowers to grow. I thought that was very strange. I, mean, I, yeah. I get it. But it was very like, what is happening? Like, wait a minute. So I guess radioactive blood. Uh, causes the uh, flowers to grow. So I guess if we ever found Sakaar, we could literally send them nuclear waste and they'd be happy. Because like, there you go. You'll, get, you'll grow your flowers. We don't need it. It's toxic for us, but it works for Sakaar. So I guess that's I guess, where they could send radioactive waste, possibly. Um, but no, it's, uh, as I said, I think it was, it was very well done. And I agree with you. The animation, I was very impressed with it because I think it very much captured Hulk's shit, not only size, but also just his sheer power in everything he did. And I will also appreciate the artwork from just the muscular level in the sense it was so well-defined, even like when he's walking or, or leaping, you know, and you see like, you know, either, either biceps, uh, you know, moving around or his back muscles. Uh, that is really cool. It's so, shall we say, uh, on, it's so well done. And I really appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I thought to myself, they get anatomy in this movie. They literally understand what's going on. Like if you move your shoulders, your shoulder blades, you'll see a certain muscle come up or you move your arm a certain way. So I really appreciate that. Thankfully, this time around, they also did not um, not skimp on the uh, on how, I guess, humanoid anatomy works. So that was cool to see. No, yeah, I'm with you. It was everything was proportional. It didn't look like as big, goofy, um, like 90 superhero where it was giant shoulders, itty bitty waist. And you're like, if you tried to walk, you'd snap in half. Like that just doesn't work. The fact that you see all the characters proportional and really well designed, especially Meek. He's a little insect cockroachy type character. Um, in the comic books, they show him evolving a little bit, which would kind of been cool to see him, you know, grow and, you know, get larger and so on and so forth. But for the most part, you know, every, everything worked. It, it didn't seem out of place. Like where there's that, while the Hulk is the Hulk, you see Korg and they're like, okay, these guys match up. And then you see the Red King in armor and you're like, okay, this kind of all works together. And it flowed and it wasn't very weirdly stumpy out of place. Like you, we've seen the whole character represented in some of the comic books or cartoons where he's just like, this stump of a dude and it's very basically drawn like the Avengers cartoon. He's just gray stump guy. And you're like, all right, that's the thing. And we're going to go with that. Yeah. And he doesn't have a six pack. He has a 12 pack. And you're like, where do those muscles come from? His muscles have muscles at this point. He's just the Hulk. We don't ask <laughs> exactly. questions. That's right. Yes. Cause I'm like, you know, whatever, when it comes to, to his abdomen, it was, it's always very strange. Cause like, okay, those muscles don't exist, but all right. So I guess then, Moving on, let's look at Hulk's ragtag team of fellow gladiators. We do have, of course, Kevin Michael Richardson as the aforementioned Korg, Samuel Kuth as Meek, Liam O'Brien as Heroim, and Advar Sudak as Eloi Kaifi. So what did you make of our gladiators? I'm so glad you pronounced all their names because you know me. I butcher names like a passion. I did my best. Uh, I appreciate it. 
I, I I like the cast. The, the cast they have playing each character, the voice actors actually played the parts very well. I can picture XYZ playing, you know, the Red King or Kevin playing Korg and all of those different characters, Meek, everything. All those characters just kind of fit perfectly. The voices match the characters. You don't hear like Meek's voice coming out of Korg or, you know, XY Battery Bill's voice coming out of Meek. It doesn't, you know, sometimes you get those where you hear like this really bassy, muscular voice coming out of this like little character and you're like, that doesn't, that shouldn't work. Like that doesn't, it, it breaks kind of like the the fourth wall almost because your expectations versus what you're getting are just doesn't work out. I, I liked even the chemistry amongst them, how they wrote the characters and how they actually interacted. You know, um, Hulk didn't get get along with Korg initially they tried fighting each other you know all this that happened but as time progressed they all became a clan or a family or a war pack you know pick your you know term and you could see them growing and becoming actual friends and you felt you you know you had genuine remorse when one of the characters died you're like oh no what are they going to do or what's happening yes every movie has a character die to kind of rally the troops we know this it's a it's a trope of everything ever um but like when meek loses an arm you're like holy crap like you you don't expect that you're like what the and then he turns around and kills the governor spoilers sorry um but you're like you're rooting for him you're like yeah no do it so it's that kind of stuff you kind of get behind them when you see them on screen a lot of times you know you cheer when you see the avengers you're like yeah there's captain america but it's because you're it's Captain America. You're not cheering because of whatever he or she has accomplished. So it was cool to see that in a cartoon. Scene. You know, I can picture these guys in real life, sitting in a sound studio, recording this, just shooting the shit with each other off you know, screen when they're not recording them, just drinking a beer. It seemed very natural and organic. It's not, you know, for lack of a better term, scripted. You know, we've seen those movies where the characters are just like, hi, Joe. And you're like, hello, Joanne, and there's just, like, you're literally talking to a wall, and there's zero chemistry. Here, they actually had the chemistry, and I appreciate that, that they took the time to cast the correct actor for the parts. Oh, very well said, yeah, because there are sometimes those uh, movies where, especially even animated ones, where you can literally tell that whoever's doing the voice is reading, and so you're totally not into the story, like, dude, I can tell you're reading words off a page, and it's not work, working or that you know, or certain reactions are so understated like for example oh my god save me they will kill me the danger is round the corner so i'm like no don't do that and i have come across some of this really really badly dubbed animated movies sometimes it happens especially with anime it's gotten yes. better it's gotten yes. better i will i will give them that but the early days of anime being dubbed in english were dare I say it, cringeworthy. Yeah, and in fact, that's why I would often watch them in Japanese with subtitles because I just, the the, the bad dubbing just took me out of the story. They've gotten much better now because I think maybe they now take it more seriously. Maybe before it's like, oh, I've got to do this bloody anime movie and I don't want to do it. It's probably dumb as heck so I just read it and go home. Here, I think maybe it's now they've, they've taken the art more seriously, and that's what all they're just simply getting better act, better voice actors to do the parts, which could definitely be that too. Or it's all, as I said, it could be that they're taking the art more seriously. Here, I think everybody took their, their roles very seriously, and you definitely cared about these guys. I mean, to not reference that movie, which we will not mention too much. It's quite the change when it comes to especially Korg and me. Oh, which, heck yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, yeah. yes, yes, that was. I just mean, Korg. Oh. Yeah, Mister YTT like, definitely liked to make Korg and Meek the butts uh, butt ends of many jokes, and a lot of his lines in that movie were just thrown together ad libbed, and it just it sometimes made sense, but a good portion of the time, it just was like, "What are you talking about? Just shut up! Please stop talking." Like, let the adults talk because clearly, you know, in your Corganite form, you're a child because you're talking about how your mom didn't make flyers. 
Like, so you're still in with your mom. Like, okay, that that joke just doesn't land because we know nothing about your race. Mm-hmm. That, that's so. very true. I mean, look, Taika has a pleasant enough voice, but the problem was, I think, there was how Korg and Meek were written. I know some folks really enjoyed them because that was the only should we say, versions of these characters they've ever seen. So like, oh, yeah, I guess they're kind of funny. They're supposed to be the comedic relief. And heck, it gives Taika the chance to voice a character in the movie he's directing. And so he went on, of course, to, to voice Korg in both uh, Thor movies, Love and Thunder and in, uh, in Ragnarok. But yeah, here, I really enjoy the character of Korg because he's very much more of a stoic character. And here he does have his humorous moments, but they're very deadpan. And you get right. the fact that he almost doesn't understand. It's almost like he doesn't get humor as in he says stuff and maybe he doesn't mean for it to be funny or it's like people just don't get it. And it gives that levity in this very grim setting of Sakaar, but it's not overly comical. It's like, mm. okay, I'm in, oh, it's almost like I'm in a bad situation. I'm trying to make light of it, but I'm not going to say stupid stuff. I'm like, why are you saying that? And I agree with you when it comes to his, his uh, relationship with the Hulk, because at first, yeah, they are. He, Hulk's rather standoffish. He's kind of standoffish with most of these folks because just like, why the hell am I here? I'm just not a happy camper right now. But the camaraderie then that, he, that him and the Hulk develop is, I found very heartwarming and definitely added a layer of depth to the story. Mm. Not to mention his backstory, I thought was interesting. The fact that he himself was a criminal. Right. Well, you know, I thought it was funny with the, the Korg backstory or the Korganites, because you do have those other three in the very beginning who are just kind of like mindless zombies, uh, is they're on that Earth-like planet and they're the first thing they do is they see a character and they're like, we need to catch him. It's Thor. They literally run into Thor or a Battery Bill and you're like, what the, f- how do you guys not know who he is? Like, the way we read Thor in the comic books, all the realms know who he is. It's not like, hey, who's that weird dude? Like, Bader Bill, I could kind of get, but it was Thor. And then their first reaction is, let's catch him and experiment on him. Like, what? You're supposed to be the super advanced civilization, and the first thing you guys think of is like, let's cut him up? Like, oh. Like, you almost kind of get your just desserts. I, you do feel bad for him, don't get me wrong, but when your first reaction is cut him up and catch him and cut him up, and we have this war machine, why do you have this giant war machine? We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to have it. And you get your asses kicked. He literally cuts one of the guys or smashes one of the guy's arms off, and that's why he has a. He's fighting this one-armed guy, zombie dude. It was very kind of like that's very intense. And he even says like, "Oh, we were young and naive." Like, yeah. And then you got caught, and now you're a prisoner, and this is. This is your, you're, you're basically getting your just, it's like karma slash just desserts is you were going to catch him. Somebody caught you and then they caught him because he chased after you because he was pissed off. <laughs> That's very true. Yes, because yeah, it seems like the Korganites are kind of a warlike race in the sense that mm-hmm. all, they're the conquering race because when Korg tells his story, it seems like they were literally conquering planets. And so they happened to stumble on earth and then, you know, they came across Thor and, and Beta Ray Bill and, you know, things turned kind of sour for them there. And then when you meet him here in Sakaar, you can see that speaking of humbling, it seems like his experience as a gladiator has very much humbled him from almost no longer being part of that warlike race, but wanting to be more of the habit being stoic, as I mentioned before, but being more noble. There is more of a nobility to this character. And heck, he tragically has to literally see his brothers killed. When it comes to the fight in the in the arena, which obviously is quite the blow to, to Paul Korg. But through it all, he very much keeps his, uh, you know, he keeps his stoic demeanor. He very much has the leader qualities. I mean, had Hulk not been there, I think he could very much have been the leader of this group because he seems like he also know, he's good at strategizing and stuff, as we see later in the film. So uh, I really like this character. I thought it was great. And uh, Meek was, was, a, was a nice addition because... Compared to the the character there, which never spoke a word, at least this one talks. And yes. I love the fact that his name is Meek because mm-hmm. it very much is like the way he behaves at first because he, he was a fascinating addition. His transformation from this very timid character slash Hulk fanboy, he then has this redemption, which I thought was very well executed because <clears throat> he learns that 
he doesn't have to be the one just supporting the big guys on the sidelines. He can be a hero too. And he gets to do that. And I was so happy for Meek. And I think even Meek himself is literally surprised at himself for being able to, I mean, killing people is not a good thing, folks. We don't endorse it. But the fact that he's able to fight back and he's able to be a, you know, should we say a functional part to the team and not just sort of sit or stand around and watch while everybody else, you know, does all the fighting. And I love how loyal he is to the Hulk and his personal journey very much made him a very compelling character. And I love that the fact that he's the one who kind of tries to bring Hulk into the fold saying, you know, we're family. You can't, everybody needs a family. He calls it a hive, of course, because he's an insectoid. But I love that concept that he makes Hulk realize he doesn't have to go it alone, which I thought was a great thing. No, I agree with you. It's interesting to, to watch him grow and kind of mature. Again, all the, a lot of these characters mature from the point we see them to where we end at. They're, in many cases, night and day. Or, you know, youngling to adult, you know, pick your analogy. Uh, Meek was definitely one of those where you do see him become his own man or insectoid or whatever character you want to call it. Even amongst his own people, because there are two different clans of these insectoids on the planet. And neither clan really respects him. And then after all this happens, he does earn their respect. So it was great to see his own people acknowledge him as an actual fighter or warrior you know whatever the case may be so it was i did like the meek and the fact that he had lines opposed to just some cricket sounds and whatever the hell it was in you know the other movies that we're not going to talk about again yeah because he was literally being held by korg all the time in that in that movie and said and i was like here's my friend meek and that was him like whatever but so, yeah he's like meek's dead oh no he's still alive like how stop it put put him down walk away like just go away korg, get out <laughs> yeah right go home korg well you know what's crazy is since we're going to talk about that movie is if you remember uh, was it the first Thor movie where they have him battling? He does run into a Corgonite. He smashes him to smithereens with his hammer. So the Corgonites are in the Thor universe. While we don't realize that's what they are, we see them, you know, once or twice before you even get that horrific uh, Tiki Watiti version of Korg in um, his movies. So it's kind of crazy that we've seen them without realizing it's them. And then to kind of get, you know, I wish we'd gotten the character from this movie in live action, but, you know, maybe next time. Maybe next time, indeed. I guess we'll see where they go with Thor from here on out when it comes to the MCU. And here is the, the, the here are the two weak links I found of this group, i.e. Hero Him and Eloi, because Hero Him, I love the concept of the Shadow Priest. I mean, you know, me uh -huh. being a big fan, like the Lone Warrior and everything else. I mean, a big fan of Fist of the North Star and that kind of stuff. So I do like that whole Lone Warrior kind of thing. And of course, the fact that he's driven by this very strong sense of duty and honor. He is very much that kind of, literally, as I said, that kind of Lone Warrior guy, because he has that quiet strength and the wisdom. And he does add a different dimension to the group dynamics, but... I felt that his character could have been explored in way more depth as there's so much untapped potential when it came to this character because we barely know anything about him. I mean, I do often say we don't have to have everything spelled out for us, mm -hmm. but I would have liked to have known a little bit more about Heroim. I mean, I get we couldn't have had every single character's backstory, but I would like to have known where, you know, where did he come from? What was his deal? Why was he doing this? And because he was just one of the really cool, uh, cool characters, he kind of reminded me of Zoro from One Piece. He had that kind of thing about him, where he's almost like almost, always, almost angry and just so focused. But you're like, where is where's that coming from? Why are you doing this? I mean, I get he's of the same race as Kyra, I guess, but it's I don't know. It was kind of hard to to to, to pin pinpoint pin him down. I I suppose. No, I'm with you. They they. Again, this was the they sacrificed a little too much of the fluff or side stories to really kind of explain the shadow clans, the different races, a little everything. It was just like smash all together, go and kind of we'll, we'll give you enough breadcrumbs with flashbacks because when they do become that 
the war pack, they kind of give him that, like how we got here story. And even his story was kind of like just enough. You're like, okay, I won't ask any more questions. Even though you sit there and think about it, you're like, but wait, why? Wait, what? And his clan basically kicked him out because he believed in one of their stories, essentially, even though that's like the planet story. Like everybody on this planet knew the story of this character. And he's like, that's, that's this guy. That's who this is. And they're like, no, get out. Like, get your shit and get out. I'm like, okay. Like, that's basically, you know, we had guys that were for the rebellion that made sense. And, th- and then just his character was, he's this super badass that kicked out of his group. Okay. Makes sense. I, I guess. I mean, as, as I said, so, so he doesn't really get that much in the comics either. Or do we get a better understanding of this guy? We do get a, a better understanding of a lot of these characters, especially like with Meek. They show you his brood. He finds his queen. He becomes the king of his brood. A lot of these stories do get flushed out in the comics, but it's one of these things that two or three issues. It's not like, oh, here's like a panel. We're just going to explain it here. Here's a page or two. It's like, here's a story arc. It's three issues out of the four. Most of it's crap. We don't need all of it. We can probably condense this down to one and go. And that's what they kind of did with this, where they just kind of condense their arc in the overarching um, Hulk story to just a flashback. Uh, I will say, ironically enough, Korg's is one of the more accurate. Literally in the comic books, it's a flashback. It's like this old, weird retro-style um, Thor story. And yeah, it's literally, he's like, we were young, we got to this planet, we, the first thing we saw... Or we're trying to conquer the planet, and the first thing we saw was this guy, and we tried to capture him, and he beat our asses. Come to find out, he's a literal god. But we didn't know that at the time. If we had gone back, we probably would have taken, over, could have taken over the planet. Like that was like the whole conversation, which is really kind of funny. So, but again, then you see him grow and mature after getting the crap kicked out of him, however many times. I will say, in the comic books, there is this uh, brood character, which is an insectoid race that's in the comic books that was not here that they just left out and just nah, we're going to play with somebody else so and even then that story kind of gets explained like like i think it's like three pages it's like this is my backstory go and you go to the next one like here's my backstory and go and then his story was in there and they just you know explain about how he was kicked out of his group so it would have been nice but I, I get it you know they wanted to you know make this as lean as possible well, I certainly appreciate the refresher course there keith thank you so much for that the and- cliff cliff notes Exactly. And I think the same can kind of go for Eloi as well, because she is the character who unfortunately doesn't gets the least development, I think, of, of our group, because her story is somewhat underexplored and she often serves more as a supporting character. And I think once again, it's a missed opportunity as they then there could have been more depth to her. I mean, I get it. She's part of the nobility, the Sakaar nobility, because she's a princess, from what oh. I gathered. And so that's why she's so politically connected. And she's like, no worries, we'll get out of here because I have connections. And of course, Hulk reads this a mile away saying, you're going to get slaughtered as soon as you get out the door. And we assume, of course, that Eloise gets murdered once she goes out because, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, no, it's not exactly that easy to, to escape. And uh, we find out that a lot of the Sakaar folks are actually in cahoots with the Red King, who we might think would have been on, our, on, the, on the side of our heroes. Luckily, of course, she survives. But other than being the kind of noble princess warrior, there wasn't really much else to her. I mean, she seemed interesting enough. But had we known more about her, like, I don't know, I was raised in this beautiful palace. And then someday my father said, you know, you got to make your own way in the world. And so I became a warrior. And then they threw me into the arena for no apparent reason. I, right. don't know. I, I peed on somebody's foot and they kicked me out. Some, literally anything. Yeah. So I, I would kind of like to have known what are you in for, if you were we're kind of like exchanging prison stories, you know? Right, right. Which they, they do a little bit, but yes, it would have been great if they were like, all right, well, you know, spill your beans. Why are we here? So I would have appreciated that just a little bit when it came to Eloise because of you know, the, the lack of female characters we have in this. But speaking of female characters, we definitely have one which definitely has more going for her. So I guess wrapping up, we can talk about Lisa Ann Belly as Kyra and Mark Hildreth as the Red King. So what did you make of Kyra and the Red King? Uh, I, I like both of them. I, I liked Kyra's a little bit more, her character, because they give you the backstory. They give you her origins. You ex- they've 
you know, show you what happened, you know, how she's gotten to where she is and why she's like this to a certain extent. Um, her whole uh, tribe gets wiped out by these spike creature invader thingamajiggies of spores. Um, and she's literally the only survivor. And it's because she has, what is it, the old world power or something to that effect? Um, yeah, she, she has that... resist can resist the effects of the, the spikes, I suppose. Are those in the comics, by the way? Yes, yes, they are. Um, and they expand upon this power in the comics. This is almost on par with the power cosmic if you have uh, an individual who can wield it correctly. So, and spoilers hulk has kids or had kids i don't know if he still has them anymore because it's been retconned so many car times but he had two kids one was a hulk-like character like himself and another one was like his mother and they used the uh, could use his power and uh scar the hulk character almost knocked out galactus i believe it was or some crazy feat of strength so it, it's a very powerful um force within the marvel universe and it was created a bajillion years ago yada 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 blah 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 and it's kind of crazy that literally only one or two characters on this entire planet have this ability and you know to see her have it and just the crap she has to go through is just insane like girl she has to kill her literally has to kill her family which is in the comic books as well literally it's not as you know um, the characters are not the same, drawing-wise or artistic s- styling. But yeah, she literally has to kill her parents, her dad. She makes mention to, of it. It's not something they just like, oh, we're going to ad-lib it. Nope, that literally happened in the comic books. And they were like, we're going to keep that and show you how effed up this poor child is. Um, the Red King, honestly, was very generic, if that's a thing. But he was very paint-by-numbers bad guy. You know, nothing was like, oh my god, I can't believe he did this. No. You know, the spores were launched by him. His um, war machines, a.k.a. Death's Head, which is crazy that he calls him that because that's a whole other character in the Marvel Universe. Um, That's all him. The spores are all him. Him wiping out her people, that's all him. Like, he is just a spectacular grade-eight asshole. Like, he's Lex Luthor and Iron Man wrapped into one. He's very, you know, he's the smartest guy in the room and doesn't think he can fail. And then he fails the most spectacular way possible when he beats the Hulk. So, I mean, he, he gets the job done and they needed something to fight. So, you know, the, the voice acting was good for both of them. I, again, as we mentioned before, I really wish they had brought more of the love story into it or made this a little bit longer because there are interactions with her and the Hulk that show this romance kind of like, starting to develop opposed to the very end of this movie you know there's a scene or there's sorry there's a passage in the comic books where she's like i'm here to buy you and blah 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 and you could see like the flirtatious tension and the hulk's just like no i'm good i'm gonna go over here because they know what i want and meanwhile she's in this like crazy uh metal skimpy bathing suit body armor thingamajiggy whatever um so you could tell like she was, you know, trying to entice him more so. And I guess I'm assuming offering herself up as the, you know, payment for um him losing the next battle. But he, you know, says no. And then again, they later on, they finally do have that final confrontation where they come to blows and beat the crap out of each other, which was, I don't think that fight was long or was dragged on too long, if that makes any sense. It was like just the right amount. They, they, you know, get a nice couple of good blows in and she's gives him like some death blow and the Hulk's like, ha ha ha. You know, he, he doesn't shrug it off, but he definitely shows that he's much stronger than she was giving him credit for. And he potentially could be this um, mystical character that all these stories and folklore were alluding to. So it was kind of cool to see her change sides at that point you could kind of see the the okay maybe they were right so i'm gonna kind of and then when the red king comes down and says like yeah i killed everybody that was on me what are you gonna do about it you're my my shadow and she's like nope not anymore and literally flip sides at that point it, it was like the nail in the coffin finally she's finally like i'm done with this i'm not gonna be your your head of guard and now you're on my shit list 
I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that fight was particularly well-paced. And I suppose maybe there was when they were trying to imply possible sexual tension between the two. I mean, they could have given it us a little bit more rather than at the end of the movie, as I mentioned before, in the palace where, you know, Hulk is kind of getting his medals and what have you. They kiss and it was like, oh, yeah, they're a couple. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a thing now. Yeah, and they sort of walk walk down the aisle kind of hand in hand. It's like, meet the new kind of king and queen of Sakaar, if you will. So it was that, as I mentioned before earlier, it was a little bit rushed. But I do like Kyra as a character. I mean, she is, she's very much, I think, ideal for the Hulk. I mean, her and Hulk complement each other very well because she's very much this strong-willed character. And of course, you know, I guess when you have two strong characters, they will clash. I mean, of course, at first she is on the Red King's side, but you know, then of course she becomes a crucial ally. And of course, we learn, I guess, we've been later Hulk's wife and lover, and. I did, I did think her character arc was interesting because it did get to showcase her growth and her adaptability in this very harsh environment of Sakaar. And I think also, like you said, that brutal origin story where this girl had to literally kill her parents and her little brother. I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of glad they didn't show us her, her, her killing her brother. They just implied that that happened because you kind of see this baby kind of infected creature going, blah, 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 and so she just had to murder him. Just so, like, meh, yeah. right Yeah, it was just, oh, my God, I'm, like, I'm glad they didn't show that. And then, of course, you know, because she, at first, she sees the Red King as being the savior because he's brought these death heads with these flamethrowers to kind of get rid of these zombie like characters like you saved me and he's like you know and he's like a child at the time it's like the, the the young emperor if you will the last emperor kind of like giving his hand to her it's like you know i'll give you a job and it will be great and will be fantastic and so on so she's so enamored of him because she sees him literally as her savior and this film is very much about also the whole savior concept because some people see the red king as a savior and a, but a tyrant and others see the hulk as the sarcassan so the potential savior and so at the end of the day it's interesting that she winds up with the official savior. She was serving who she thought was her false savior. And now she's kind of, you know, off and off to, off to get married and, and with Hulk and have his children and stuff. So that was, that was, I think, a nice turn of events, a little bit rushed. The Red King, I mean, I think he is a formidable antagonist who, mm -hmm. as we see, rules Sakaar with that iron fist. His, I also think his design and voice acting were memorable enough. The problem is, when it came to the, the Sakarians in general, I mean, I don't want to seem speciesist, but they kind of all looked alike. So it was hard to kind of tell them apart. Um, then you could tell him apart enough because he had that kind of weird goatee going on. And that, that was, and of course, uh, the voice. And I think he made a convincing threat to the Hulk and his companions. However, his motivations and his backstory could have been explored further to make him more of a compelling villain. I think that's why, uh, Keith, I mean, obviously, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right here, why you felt that he was very much a cookie-cutter villain because maybe we had that didn't have the reason of why is he doing this and why does he do the whole thing of the spikes, bring in the death, death heads and then, you know, move on and uh, sort of stage these fights in the arena. I mean, I get almost the Ro Roman emperor kind of thing, but you think to yourself, is this the first planet he's done it on? Has he done it on other planets? It, 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 what, what is his deal with doing all this? He's a, and you think, if you think to yourself, he's a really sadistic kid because he was doing this when he was a child. Mm -hmm. And then he continued to do it as he grew up. But I would like to have known how long had he been doing this? Because it clearly seems this wasn't his first rodeo as a child, bringing in the spikes and then moving on to the next thing. I guess maybe he's, dare I say, looking for like the survival of the strongest. So he's like looking for somebody who could survive that. And then I'll, it will look like I saved them. So they'll be my bodyguard, if you will. But it, it was very strange. That was something I just, I would have liked more explained better of, what what's your deal why are you doing this and i did like the fact that he isn't though at the same time just this you know kind of emperor who can't defend himself because he does have like you said the lex luther armor it kept me it made me think so much of lex luther when it came to the armor he used right and i and i love the fact that he got his just dessert as in he literally got a taste of his own medicine by getting literally injected with 
the, the spikes and literally being burnt to death by his own death heads. So that thought that was that's fantastic because I guess they're kind of robots or androids because they literally just see that he's infected and they kill him. It's like, oh my god, it's the emperor or the red king. We we have to save him. They just burn him to a crisp. So uh it's um it was curious. I mean, I, I guess I guess that's that's the, the way I kind of felt it was just he was cool, but we wanted but we needed a little bit more. No, I definitely agree with you 100%. All to everything you said, you know, you want to know his motives. You know, how is he, was he, we'll say like 10, 12, something? Who the heck knows? He's a small child. He managed to create this spore army, this missile, and this entire android, whatever. And nobody noticed. Like, where the hell is this kid? What, like, what happened? Like, what, who pissed in his Cheerios to get him to go this psychopath? I, I, I he almost kind of, you know, as we said, the Lex Luthor or like a Thanos type of very like, eh, if we really like him, we'll go and explain his backstory eventually. But for right now, he's just the dude to beat up. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like, you know, we'll introduce this new character. And uh, if we if folks really want to see more of him, we can do like, I don't know, a prequel of how the Red King became the Red King. I mean, I know you're not a fan of prequels, but um. It just would have been interesting because, like I said, if he started on this murderous spree at such a young age, you have to wonder where he got it from. Either his parents were just as bad or it's just like he was a bad seed. It's like, yeah, dad, I'm just taking the ship out. I'll be back by dinner time. And he goes to murder people. Yeah. So. Get a carton of milk. I'll be right back. Yeah. Just me to plan it. Like, why are you covered in blood? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Here exactly. are your Cheerios and go, go watch some TV. Like, what? Which is I kind guess, of funny, actually, thinking about it that way. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Sakarians uh, have some sort of traditions or something. I don't know how they rear their children, but, uh, but I, you know, may, if, maybe. If there are any Sakarians listening out there, please let us know. It'd be nice to know please how you rear in. your kids. Exactly. We would definitely appreciate it. Um, but no, so so I guess that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of my my bit when it came to to these two characters. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Keith, on the movie as a whole before we got to ratings? No, I, I think I, I I really wish they would make a sequel, make the World Breaker Hulk, so we can kind of see how this plays out, like it does in the comic books. I really wish they would do that, but I'm going to say no by now because it's what, what year did this come out? 2010 um, so it's, we're 13 years down the line since this movie came out yeah so it's it's been you know a decade or so so at this point i'm going to you know assume no and just be sad i guess we'll be we'll both be sad then unless they decide you know to uh, revisit it 13 odd years later and say okay we gave you planet hulk in 2010 we'll do you we'll, we'll give you the the what happens next 14 years later or 13 years later and you can see what happens um, but yeah, I, I I kind of felt like I wanted a little bit more. And so far, this has been uh, one of my favorite uh, of the Marvel movies that we reviewed thus far. I'm curious to see how things progress as we move further down the line when it comes to these. But so far, this has been my favorite. So I guess, and let's see how that reflects on our ratings. What do you give the uh, Planet Hulk out of 10? Uh, this should not come as a shock to anybody, but I, I think I'm going to go a little bit higher than normal. I'm going to give it an 8. It's not perfect, and they, they did cut some corners, but I think they kept close enough to the core story that I can forgive some of the rushing, but I really wish they would have a sequel, or hell, make it a trilogy, because then we could have the kids, you know, Sakar, or Scar, and his brother, and just kind of finish the whole story out, but, you know, again, I digress, never going to happen. Unless they do one big reboot, but I guess uh, we'll see if that ever yes. happens. Yes, please. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that could be that could be an interesting one if uh, Marvel decides to progress when it comes to animated films and revisit this story. Yeah, I'm I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed it. The it lost points as I mentioned before because of I wanted more of the love story between Kyra and Hulk, which obviously is core. Cool to what happens later, because heck, as, as we mentioned before, she's the mother of his kids, for crying out loud. So, you know, you kind of right. want to know more about this woman and how the two fell in love, rather than the quick scene of them kissing and then kind of walking down the aisle. So, I, other than that, I enjoyed it. The, the score was good. The, the animation, the art style was really good. It, they definitely stepped up their game. I mean, it still holds up 13 years later, which, uh, you know... A Impressively lot of anime, enough. Exactly, because, you know, a lot of animated shows, not many... 
can claim that felicity of still looking good after 13 years, especially animation, which evolves even quicker than live action stuff. It's great that this one still holds up really well. So, so kudos to the artists for, for that indeed. So it's seven and a half out of 10 for me. So when it comes to recommendations, Keith, do you have anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners out there? Uh, I would definitely have them check out the World War Hulk omnibus where it's the full story. You know, what's the setup, the actual story itself, the conclusion, definitely the World Breaker Hulk story, the spinoff with his kids. You know, Scar has his own many stories and many adventures. So they, they've done it, unfortunately, almost to death. Red Hulk had his own World War Hulk story for a bit, which is was still good, but not as good as the original. So definitely check out the Hulk uh, story arc overall from that time frame. And I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and enjoy it a lot. Great stuff. I'm also going to add, if you'd like to know more about the Illuminati, you can definitely check out the Illuminati books, which kind of give you an idea of how this cabal of superheroes came to be. It's literally one of the finest minds uh, it, when it comes to the MC, to the Marvel Universe, especially the heroes. Because of course, you've got Tony Stark, you've got Doctor Strange, you've got Reed Richards, and you've got, um, who else is there, Professor Xavier and a couple mm -hmm. of others. So if you want to sort of see what this crazy cabal of heroes get up to, and some of their choices are definitely debatable. So you can, and I, I love the, the the fact of that comic is, though these are heroes they are also flawed and they can make debatable choices even though they are the mensa of marvel so i, I definitely suggest you guys check out the uh, the illuminati uh, books indeed so let's get to happiness and darkness fan mail we actually have some from the awesome erin today and i love the subject line of this particular email it's now i know who to smash very nice there erin so erin writes in hello nick and keith planet hulk i love this movie I'm a little scared to say that because Keith has stated that the original story is near and dear to him, and if he hates the movie, he may not appreciate my opinion. Once has been revealed in this review, Aaron, Keith actually enjoyed this one. I haven't read the source material, mainly because I grew up reading DC and not Marvel, so most of my Marvel knowledge comes from the movies, animated and live action. The reason I like Planet Hulk so much is because it was the first time I enjoyed watching a solo Hulk movie. I feel like every Hulk movie deals with Bruce Banner being the main character and him trying to find a way to either control or contain his Hulk persona. This movie puts the Hulk front and center, asking what if the Hulk was the main character and Banner didn't really make a difference. Good point. I like not having to deal with Banner, don't get me wrong, I don't hate Banner, but I just like seeing the Hulk as the main character. For this reason, I really enjoy the Hulk being placed in a story where his strength and power take center stage. There's little morality and consequences involved, and the story relies simply on how a feral beast reacts when cut loose. Yes, we see the Hulk having to use reason, but I find it so refreshing that it's chaos trying to rationalize his actions rather than calm, trying to weigh consequences. Beautifully put there. Thank you for your great work and take care, Aaron. Thank you so much for that wonderful piece of feedback there, Aaron. And of course, dear listeners, if you want to be like the awesome Aaron and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, be it in written or audio form, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating review as this helps the show grow and allows us to continue to bring you the podcast you deserve to even more ears out there. And the Keith, when you're not here with me on the Happiness and Darkness podcast, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Oh, you know, I, I just sit around my house and collect stamps. I don't do anything. I'm very boring. All right. All kidding aside, I'm on another podcast with some of our mutual friends. It's called The Hour of Comics is Upon Us, where we do the exact opposite of this. We talk about comic books, stories, first appearances, arcs, pretty much anything comic book related. We're, we're kind of slowly progressing from the silver, golden age, and present day comics. Uh, we've done uh, the first appearance of Batman, Joker, 
geez, there's so many. And we have so many planned out that I'm trying to like not confuse them. Shazam, which is one of my, my personal favorites. Uh, definitely check us out. We're on all the major platforms, YouTube, Spotify. Give us a thumbs up if you like it. You can send us an email. I wish I had the email address, but I can never remember it. I need to write it down. But it's myself, John Seymour, and Jason Gurin. Uh, we drop usually like Wednesdays or Thursdays, and they're about a, a half an hour, so they're an easy digest. No, they're definitely great. And I had the pleasure of guesting on the Arab Comics upon us recently, folks, as uh, we got to discuss the origins of Wolverine, which was definitely a fun one, and Doctor Strange. So uh, first appearances, which was, uh, I definitely had a great time hanging out with them, and I'm sure you will have a great time listening to them. So definitely check them out. And when it comes to me, you can find me at my day job uh, hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More info about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we're reviewing all the best picture-winning movies in chronological order. This week, actually, as of uh, after tomorrow, this coming Thursday, we will be taking on 12 Years a Slave, which is definitely going to be a a rough one, but definitely Oof, a, yes. yeah, but definitely a necessary movie. So uh, to hear our thoughts on that, you can check out Gold Standard. And uh, last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs, as of next month, will be returning to the fandom zone where we'll re- we will be reviewing the second season of Loki. And we also will likely be reopening Doom Manor as they finally announced that the last five episodes of Doom Patrol will be dropping. So we will be reopening Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we'll get to wrap up the great TV show that was Doom Patrol. And speedlings to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2007 Bruce Tim, Laurent Montgomery and Brandon Vietti film, Superman Doomsday. I will say, folks, it won't be next week because we will be off for a week. We're taking a break, but we will be back in two weeks to bring you that particular review. So, uh, Keith, anything else you would like to add on either our next movie or in general before we sign off? I I just want to apologize to our fans. Uh, I'll be in prison for like a week. Just I can't talk about it. Judge says, you know, restraining orders and whatnot. So maybe next week or two weeks, I'll I'll let you guys know what this thing happened. But until then, you guys have to wait another week or two for our our fun-filled adventures. Indeed. Well, uh, I'll definitely miss talking to you, Keith. It will seem like forever since we'll get to talk again. But, uh, you know, I'll have to possess my soul in patience until we return in two weeks for our next episode. So, of course, uh, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you in two weeks with Superman Doomsday. Until then, thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Stay super. Ciao. Happy balls.